0: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com host.
1: Now when I was a little boy at the age of five
0: I had something in my pocket keeps a lot of Can I have a lot of fun? I'm amazing. Hello and welcome to the Roka Report Podcast. My name is Graham Falk and today I'm hosting a podcast with a Sunderland legend. In 388 appearances, he scored 23 goals. He won two Division uh-huh. 1 titles. I'm not sure that
1: was 27. Thought, was like, it 27? That's I was, was testing you, that. Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I was
0: testing you. No, you might be right, but I'm sure it was 27. <laughs> He's known as one of the greatest Sunderland captains of all time and once managed to they hit the crossbar from 40 yards out with the sheer brute force of one of your tackles. Kevin,
1: how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I presume, if I remember right, that was about 60 yards out, let's face it. <laughs> the stories always get exaggerated as they get older, don't they? So, I was a hell of a tackle, mine on then. I, it was. Yeah, I did want to hurt him at the time, but that's a,
0: a time of the past. I'm a nice lad now. Big dunk. Yeah, he was top man, by the way. Nice easy one to begin with. Yeah. Biggest wind-up merchant in your 10 years at Sunderland or just under 10 years? I, I would have said
1: probably um, it's, it's probably a group of them really and I, I think whenever you have successful teams they have their own little bits they do to just, I don't know how to explain it all because I'm not great with big words like, but they they just have the togetherness that sometimes you just don't get yeah. and, and, and they take the piss out of each other they wind each other up and it's just about Making sure you're together. Now, when I say they they take the piss out of people, they have a laugh with people, but that's like, we can because we're our team. Yeah. Now, if somebody else from the outside tries to take the piss out of that person, all of a sudden, everybody's behind him saying, no, 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 you can't take the piss. He's our captain or he's our teammate. We can, you can't. You need to be part of us to be able to do this. You need to earn that right. And you find then that they're the strongest teams because you need to have a laugh. You need to have a bit of fun. And you need to have people like that in the team. If you have somebody like me who who can't help it when you go training to be so serious it's ridiculous and and train like I play, you also need lads that need to sometimes say to me, wait, calm down will you like that? I mean, Kevin Phillips once, I tackled him in training and I thought, as I always did, it was a fair tackle. And then he came out on crutches with his uh, ankle all strapped up and made out I'd done him. And he wouldn't be fit for Saturday. Well, I was bloody mortified. And he was just taking the piss out of us. Do you know what I mean? There was nothing <laughs> wrong with him, really. But if you were to really ask me, the two that used to get me at it a lot were was um, Tony Coton, actually, our head of recruitment now, and Paul Stewart. Yeah. And the two of them used to concoct things together. You know, there was one time they'd done a thing where I think we were in Ireland and uh, they said, oh, we're going to have a meeting today, discuss who's going to be captain next year. Now, you can imagine, I'm going, you can go yourself like I'm captain <laughs> oh no Kevin it's a you know like it has to be democratic like that well honest to God right they wound me up for ages and then I went to go to the loo and fo- no Scotty Martin Scott went there I think what happens I think they voted and Scotty voted against me so I followed Scotty's in the loo have a, and I'm hammering Scotty sees me big mate like I'm going what and then you vote for me like that. He's gone, well, to be fair, he said, I thought you'd win it hands down. He said, I just wanted to chuck a little grenade in there, like, <laughs> you know. But they would do this to me just solely to wind me up. Yeah. They, and they knew they were doing it on purpose. And then there's another time I had this thing about when we traveled to games, say, for example, match day would be a red shirt, traveling would be with blue. So I goes to the boys, right, we're traveling blue tomorrow. So everybody knew what we're going. So we looked a team like, we looked professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I'm thinking we're all in blue, puts me blue T-shirt on, look, thinking I'm looking good like that. I turns up, everyone else is in red. Now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, did I really do this? I'm sure we was in that. And then all of a sudden, you start thinking. Now, it might sound on the radio talking to about it now quite minor, but when you've got a group of lads who are completely in a different colour to you and going to me, what are you doing like? You told us this and nailing me. And it was only when we got to Darlington Railway Station because we travelled by train that yeah. day that I looked over at him and I saw Tony Cotan on his phone looking at me waiting for Paul Stewart to get on, basically saying, we've got him like that. <laughs> and if I hadn't have clocked him doing that, and I just went, and obviously I can't really say what I said. I've sworn a couple of times I don't like doing... But, oh, yeah. but it was, that was just minor things, but they would get me at it all the time. Yeah. And they would love it. Now, I can sit with Tony now in the training ground and they start bringing out stories. And I'm not lying when I say, I'll start crying with laughter because he'll bring up stuff that I've completely forgot about. And they go, do you remember when we done this? And I go, oh, do you know what? I forgot all about that. And then and he's absolutely brilliant. So him and Stewie were superb at it. Like and, and like I said, I think every team needs that. But it's amazing when you do have that connection between a group of lads, it makes it strong. And yeah, it, it was good.
0: Talking about good lads... I think I've asked you this before, sort of in private, and it's a, it's a good story. But Dennis Smith obviously yeah. signed you in 1990. Um, tell the story of how he sold the club to you, because I think it's a great story. Uh, I, th- I think in general, you're talking about when
1: I came up here with him. Yeah. I think it, I think you have to understand as well that, that, that it all started with me wanting to leave Portsmouth. Um, it was a little bit of a standoff between myself and Portsmouth because... I was at that stage and when I look back, now I've done exactly the same here. I didn't feel Sunderland val- uh, sorry, Portsmouth valued me fairly in terms of wages and that. I was mm-hmm. captain of the club at the time. Um, they offered me a new contract. It was okay. wasn't nothing that made you go, actually, yeah, that's great like that. Yeah, It was okay. I went to see the manager and, and he sort of said, well, this is what we can do. So I then had a choice and the choice was to say to myself, right, I'm leaving now. That also takes some nuts. You have to remember, you know, I'm living on the South Coast at the time. So I turned down the contract then goes to Bosman ruling. But then all of a sudden, it's a case of like, you have to wait till somebody mm-hmm. comes in for you. So I went to Goodwood races with the lads, uh, end of season do, came home that night. And and this is just a small part of the story, but it's relative. And I went to my misses as anybody rang for us because of them days, no mobile phones. It was a house phone and that was it. And you had to make sure you were in when the call came if you didn't have the answer phone on. And she went, yeah, she went, Matt Busby's been on the phone for you. And obviously, now, why at the time you still think, Matt Busby like that? I went, Matt Busby, she went, yeah, she went, Dennis Smith's gonna ring you on Monday. I went, you mean, obviously, and may have swore, said, Viv Busby. She went, yep, yep, that's the one (laughs) like that, you know? So it was quite good, like, and then anyhow, to be fair, Dennis rang us, just had a bit of crack, said, would you come up? So me and my missus went up, met him at the station. Now, Dennis was, quite an imposing figure yeah. you know Dennis didn't mess with anybody and I have to say everybody I think in football has to be lucky that they come across managers that trust them come across managers that like let's say like them like them as football you might have to like them as a pl- person but you sometimes are lucky that someone wants you to sign yeah. for them and you know it's the right call and I was lucky with Dennis, if I'm brutally honest, really lucky. But Dennis was also ahead of his time because Dennis would turn around and, like said, okay, good. you and your missus like to come up. So me, me and my missus got the train, Portsmouth to London, London to Durham and that. And I remember walking along the platform and looking at him. And now, obviously, I'd never met him in my life, but knew him. Yeah. So I went up, shook his hand, introduced my wife, and I literally went, oh, I was I'm meant to wear a carnation, so you recognise me, trying to break the ice. And he just looked at me and he... Didn't change his demeanour, anything. He just went, I usually recognise a footballer, but I didn't recognise you. and just walked <laughs> off. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking, I oh, don't like that. So follows him up the platform, gets in the car and his wife was as well, so it was nice. you now having to break the ice a bit, thinking where do I go from here? So I said, oh, do you think done you'd done? do as well as what you had done this year? Because they just got promoted and it was immediately via yeah. the financial irregularities with Swindon, but they ultimately got promoted, which was a fantastic accomplishment. And... He went, oh, actually, I thought we'd have done a lot better. And I thought, at the time, arrogant bastard like that. Yeah. So I quietly mouthed him and missus, what an arrogant, and I did say a rude word to her, he is. And he then uh, and he went, and you find out arrogant I am when I come. I went, fucking no, he's got good ear in too, like you know <laughs> what I mean? And it was like non-stop with him. So anyhow, he was brilliant. He showed us all around um, Sunderland, um, said to me, how much money have you got to buy a house, which I felt was quite invasive, but yeah. what he was really good at, he was really sort of saying, well, I'll tell you where you can live and where you can't, like yeah. that. Um, we went through some of the areas at the time that were going through development, shall we say, and it was quite funny because he said, what sort of car you got? And I went, oh, I've got a Renault 11 Turbo, red, like that, a little bit cockiness, you know what I mean, nice fast sports car. He went, have you got an alarm on it? I went, no, like that. He said, well, if you come here, son, I'd get an alarm on it if I was you <laughs> like that, you know, so that was quite weird, but it was just a fact, he gave me a whole glossary of Sunderland Yeah. told you about the club took you to the training ground I can remember us going at the Charlie Hurley which was hilarious and they would just planted a load of conifers all the way around and he went yeah and the pitch is getting developed this and that and the others happened and you see those trees we have just planted within 12 months they're going to be 24 foot high or 40 or whatever it is they're going to be and it's going to stop the wind coming in well I left nearly 10 years later and they were the same height that's all I say so I've done who got the job for doing that but he was really good. So in the end, he's gone through all of this. So he's basically shown me, he said, Oh, yeah, we'll go down the uh, seafront now. And I went, Sorry? He's going, Yeah, we'll go down the seafront. I went, What? Sunderland's by the sea. Now, how ignorant is that for me that I didn't realize? Sunderland, yeah, they're all nodding your heads going, Yeah, bloody ignorant. Like that. <laughs> I didn't realize now. I grew up by the sea. So for me, it was like music to me. ears. I'm yeah. like, oh, happy days like that. So he took us down the seafront and that. And then he went, Right, what's time to train? I didn't want to talk about anything else. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, I went, what, is that it? He went, yeah. He went, what time is your train? So I went, well, we can get one. Then he said, oh, wait, then we'll take you back now. So I went, well, we're not going to talk about anything. And he went, oh, no, I just wanted to meet you. And I thought it was ingenious. I yeah. thought it was absolutely brilliant because what he was really doing was saying, well, I'll bring you up, and if I get any sort of hesitancy, I might turn around and go, actually, hey, not for us. Um, if I didn't show any enthusiasm for what Dennis wanted out of me as a person or for his plans for the club... If I'd have been him, I'd have told me to go home as well and I wouldn't have run back. I thought it was brilliant what he'd done. He just really wanted to see what sort of character I was, what sort of person I was, whether I displayed the enthusiasm for the job coming up. Because let's face it, we all knew it was going to be tough. At the time, Sunderland didn't have much money to spend. I think it was myself, Peter Davenport and Brian Mooney came in, if that was it. We did have some really good young players, I'll give it that. And there were also some good players at the club but he just wanted to know that what he was spending his money on was of somebody of a, a reasonable character that wanted what he wanted. Yeah. And to give him credit, he rang us a few days later. Um, I wouldn't say the contract offer blew me out of the water or anything like that, but I thought, actually, it's a challenge and it's something different. And so I said to my missus, right, yeah, I'm going to go for it. Rang my dad, told me dad, explained to him how it was going to go about. And obviously, as time grew on, people knew it was going to move me next door neighbour. And I still remember this was turning around and saying, well, oh, I don't know about that. You know, it's a big move, it's a long, long way. And I used to say, well, I'll have to make it the right move. Yeah. But I think the best summing up is when I sat in the press conference and Jeff Story turned around to me and said, have you made the right move? And he looked at me, he was our local reporter from The Echo. He looked at me, and went, have you made the right move? And I just looked back at him and I said, I'll have to make it the right move. Yeah. And him, even him by throwing that out there, I don't suppose... He probably felt at the time, but it was like challenging me to think, right, I'll have to make it the right move. Now I've got to tell you wholeheartedly, I was shit for the first few weeks I came in. <laughs> like, positively shite. Now, I know I shouldn't swear and I'm going to get in trouble. because I did promise Lou at the club I wouldn't swear when I come on, right? <laughs> Um But I was that bad. Like, And when I say bad, I wasn't bad. What it is... You have to take into account, and this is something you learn as you, you, you start travelling about, the upheaval that players go through when they do move clubs. You you know, people assume and it, it's a lot easier nowadays, yeah. you know, the transition from players coming abroad to England is a lot easier because they have a lot more people helping them. Where mm-hmm. in those days it was just me, my missus and, and our Luke. Right? So you imagine Luke was just really young at the time. Yeah. Um, I've now got to make arrangements to get from Portsmouth to Sunderland to train and then go back home to see them. Um so I've I've got the training to consider in terms of the physicality and how tired I'm gonna get. I can remember laying in the Royal County as it was called then in Durham and I was in a single room on a bed, roasting hot with wet towels over me because I couldn't sleep. Um And I sound like I'm making excuses. It's fact. That's what it was like then. And we went to Scotland to play in a game. And I think I was crapping that one as well. And I drove from Scotland back to Portsmouth. So I left Scotland when it was light, drove all through the night, and got to Portsmouth when it was light. And you're only literally home for a day or so, and you're driving back again. And now people go, "We shouldn't have bloody done it," like you know. But it's not as easy as what what people think. You know, you know, it's 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 tough like that. And and people may turn around and go, "It was because it was just us." Now, the club, as much as they could, were, were outstanding with their support of us. And then I remember we finally got sorted out to go to our little place in, uh, we rented a place in Willington that the club out fine for us. And and it sort of slowly but surely came better and better and better. I was very fortunate that the lads were outstanding. Dickie Ord, who technically I'd come to play either alongside or challenge for a place with, was outstanding. Benno, all the people you'd expect you to help you. And, 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 did. proper characters yeah, they, they, yeah. They, oh, the characters was, the characters, if I'm brutally honest were, were probably why I knew it was the right place for me because yeah. you had such a variation of them and that and, and then, anyhow so we moved to Willington and to then understand what you're coming into is important because we played Torpedo Moscow I think it was called on the Saturday whenever it was and I can't remember what the score was. All I can remember is slotting past Tony Norman for an own goal. He's running out. I'm trying to lay it. Back. Oh, 4-1. Thank you very much for that. Well, obviously, I helped uh, the the, the four, like, and I slotted past Tony Norman. And you know, we think things can't get any worse. But yeah. actually, in the game, I played okay. Yeah. Taking into account everything, they were in their season, I believe, I remember rightly, and we were doing pre-season. But I went home that night and pivotal moments, epiphanies, whatever you want to call it, important moments was me saying to my misses. I've got and get some Chinese tonight, you know. So goes into the village. Again, no one really knew who I was. Goes in the village, goes in the Chinese, opens the door, goes up, orders me Chinese, and you just stand there, don't you now, looking at the telly, trying to read the paper, looking at the menu in Chinese, thinking, why do they put it in? No gonna understand it, but you do. <laughs> and then the door opened again. I looked over my shoulder. And this is where you understand there was a slight... Um, Way of pronouncing the name Ball in the northeast to yeah. what you'd get down south. And I looked round at this bloke and he's looked at me through the squinty eyes. He'd obviously been to the working men's club and he just went and meet a ye Kevin Ball. A ye <laughs> Kevin Ball. I'll never forget it. And I looked round and I just went, yeah, which he then proceeded to tell me I was effing shite. <laughs> and he said it very vehemently and quite to the point. And I remember looking at him, lucky enough, the lady came back with me Chinese. And I looked at her, and be fair, she wouldn't have understood what was going yeah. on. I got me Chinese. I looked back at him. I went, thanks. And I walked out the door <laughs> like that. And I got home, and I went to my missus. If i could never guess what. This bloke in the Chinese, I thought "He had the audacity to turn around and say to me, you, Kevin Balaam. And I went, yeah, he said, I'm effing shite. She just went, well, let's face it, you ain't been very good, and just took the Chinese <laughs> and went it. But it was good, because there are moments that, that person, or oh, I've never—I don't presume—seen since. Even though I have spoken to someone who said it, you know, oh, me mate, it was me mate, like that. And if it was, brilliant, because yeah. he probably helped me. Because I think then all of a sudden I thought, well, I ain't having that anymore. Yeah. And then you, you, you know you start wanting to be better and better and better and better. And that in itself, from that person, you no, know, whilst I won't say he should take full credit for the the X amount of years I was at the club <laughs> and that, I, I would have said he should take a bit of credit because yeah. by chucking that out there as he did. I thought, yeah. Now, Dennis was also very good at taking us out all year into talkings, into clubs, and that. And when we used to go out, it used to be quite violent at times. People mm-hmm. would be giving Dennis it rotten, and Dennis would be giving them it back. And yeah. we'd sit on the stage thinking, well, it's going to end up in a punch up here in a minute. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's how bad it was. But I'll give Dennis credit. He never backed down at all. I tell you what, by the end of it, when he had explained it all to them, they loved him. Yeah. Abs- and I used to sit there thinking, my God, it's great. He was. As a manager, outstanding, like absolutely brilliant. Even the time I called him a miserable bastard at the lads' Christmas do, and I had to go in the next morning and say, "Look, I'm really sorry about yesterday." He said, "That's all right." He said, "Next time, keep your eye on your drinks." I wasn't drinking. The lads were putting a little tot in my drinks, or so stitching me up like yeah. I think I called him a miserable, may have been a bold bastard at the time like that yeah. And he was brilliant because I went in to see him, and to give him credit, didn't say anything. Just yeah. next time. What you drink so he taught me, a lesson, taught me a lesson about the press I said something to the press once next couple of days when he said I've been, been the press boys have we I went yeah he said you need to come up my office and he didn't came me he just taught me a lesson again about what the press do up here and how they can twist, turn exaggerate now again so 1990 lucky enough they were still doing it then as they probably yeah. still do it now but he taught me that as well um, I think I did tell him to F off once uh, in a game and which was out of order just typical probably frustration or yeah, something of course. and I went up the next day to apologise and I, again he done something that was absolutely magnificent he just went that's fine he said I'll give all my players one chance you've just had yours and I thought well I'm never going to do it again yeah. unless I had an ulterior motive to leave and then it would be a challenge to him but I respected him um, he was just an all round great manager he used to give us certain days off at the time I didn't like if I'm honest I used to think it was too much I used to want to train but he used to say, no, you're going to rest here because of this and you're going to rest there because of that. But when we trained, we trained hard. I mean, he used to join in training. Yeah. And I'll be honest he used to smack the lads about. Like, I think him and Anthony Smith, who was only a young lad at the time, went for a challenge with the heads. Smite was Sparko. And there's Dennis with the biggest gash across his head, just giving it like that. And we're all looking at him thinking, does he realise he's actually cut his head or not? And Everyone was too <laughs> frightened to tell him, do you know what I mean? But I think, again, i go back to what I said sometimes the manager that buys you has got to also obviously want to buy you but he's got to buy into you as a person yeah, of course. because if you just buy someone and then don't want to have any connection with them that person's going to feel a bit lost mm-hmm. Now, I was lucky because Dennis even once said to me in the game oh no I think it was in pre-season when me and Audie came in late I say late no we came in last in the running round Maiden Castle and I think he just looked at me and looked at as if to say, what the FNL have I bought you for do <laughs> you see know what I mean but he was buying into me without him realising or well, maybe he was he was buying into me but he wanted to know about me as a person Yeah. and I think the problem with footballers' life has gone on it's changed so much that managers probably don't get time to actually really get to know their players yeah. because let's face it that's what they need to do they mm-hmm. need to understand how they take, need to know what's going on in their private life and, and I think agents now have more took over that but the downside to that is the managers don't really know but the managers are the most important one so, but he was good and I was lucky because, like Luck I said, and maybe I should also thank Paul Hardiman because I've known that Hardy put a word in for me at the time as well. But he was good.
0: It's kind of hard to put it in chronological order. Well, it's not, but it's like there's, there's so much to talk yeah. about. But one thing that really stuck out to me, and it's, I suppose, it, it uh, aligns with sort of recent stuff. you you one a few people that has not only played for something, but obviously captained Sunderland at Wembley, but not just once, but twice. Yeah. Um, 1992 FA Cup final, which but I wasn't was, capped, I played then. You played, Bra- yeah, uh, that's right. I think it was captain, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's there, right. Yeah. Um, both games were kind of different. I would say we were probably the favourites in the player final, and that was a mammoth 4 4 yeah. game. Liverpool, obviously, you're nine times, out, I think, gonna be the yeah. favourites anyway. But I suppose I'll ask you more like this as a captain for the 98 game because I'd say you went captain in 92. But how do you handle that defeat as a captain and as a player when you get beat at Wembley? How do you, how do you recover from that? I think,
1: again, I go back to what I said. You know, if you have players around you or players within the squad that they're they're, they are good players, let's face that, it does help tightly, but also resilient to defeat and mentally strong enough to say we need to go one step better. Yeah. Now, everybody after a game gets upset. If you get beat, you know, like after the two Wembley games this year, you know, everybody goes with high hopes and we want to come out of it. We want to see our team running around as winners and we want to celebrate as fans. We want to celebrate as staff or celebrate as players. We all want to do that. And after a game that, you know, if you look at the the playoff on how the goal came and it kicks you in the kahunas, doesn't it? Mm. Right Now you have a choice then. Do you feel sorry for yourself? And we're all different. I think, you know, it's important that we understand that we all have our own ways of dealing with these situations. And some players might take a couple of weeks. Yeah. Some players might take five minutes. And people go, God, does it not matter to him? No, that's his way of dealing with it. That's him saying, listen, this is how I want to put it to bed. I ain't gonna worry about it because I can't do nothing about it. So I'm putting it to bed. Bush, gone. Yeah. What I can do now, right, is look to what I can do to improve. I think the biggest thing about the game itself, one we we were talking about this prior to our player final this year and people were associating the two and I tried to s- separate them. Mm-hmm. I went, yes, there is obviously the same team and all that lot, but this is this team now, it was that team then, totally different scenarios, totally different club in terms of where we were, what we were doing. So I tried to separate the two because I think it was really important that this team or the last season's team got the credit they deserved and it shouldn't be you know anything to do with ads it was the yeah, other similarities yeah. but it shouldn't be but so you, you look at the game so we go back to our one in 98 you play the game the way it did the way it fluctuated between who's going in front who's not the situation with the goal towards the end of the game then it comes to penalties you have the people that are now not on the pitch Kevin Phillips Lee Clark who's going to take a penalty you know I had this thing about if I ever had the opportunity to take a penalty would you want to take a penalty in front of a ninety thousand fans at Wembley, and knowing that there is hundreds of millions or whatever watching on telly and the games worth millions? Right, I'll ask the three of you in front of me now. Any of you say yes, out and out.
0: Are you no. all gonna? I, 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 I would take
1: one. But bollocks, That's, feel... that's bollocks. But I'd miss right. It. Right. So there you go. But in the main, though, right? What do we all say? We all think, oh, I don't want to take a penalty. Not a
0: right? right? Would I be but nervous? That would that Yeah, yes.
1: you would. But do you know that's that there in itself is like. How you would always feel, and in that game, my my thing was they had gone off. Really went. Who wants to take one? I couldn't live with the fact afterwards that if I hadn't said, "Yeah, I'll take one." I, by the way, I'd practiced. That was the other thing I'd practiced for my tennis. Yeah, I'd practiced for. I would have said it probably was because it was like I knew what I was doing without a shadow of a doubt. I knew what I was doing. I was going to go and take it, and I went, "Yeah, I'll take one," because I didn't want afterwards if someone said, "Why didn't you take one?" Now, if I wanted to say truthfully, I didn't want one. And if someone in the press said to me, I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to take one, I'd actually say to the player, pay. fell he's admitted he didn't want to take one. I have no issue with that. What I would have an issue with, if someone afterwards had said, oh, I wish I'd took one, I'd probably want to knock him out. Yeah. Because I'd go, well, it's easy now to say I wish I had. i have the balls to say, I was too frightened. And I as captain would be the first to go, yeah, I understand that. And I wouldn't have an issue with that at all. Now, did I shit myself? Absolutely. But you have to go in a little zone when you get into that. And and then obviously it came in and what happened and even when you look back at Mickey's penalty, if, if someone had said to me when he was on that run up, is Mickey gonna score this, I'd have put everything and anything on saying no. Yeah. And but if someone had said to me when Mickey Gray picked the ball up, would he score? I'd have pretty much said yeah. I absolutely loved Mickey Gray's player. I think when we talk about people at our club over the course of the years that have really surpassed everything Mickey Gray for me is one of those yeah. local lad putting up with everything as a player brilliant trained brilliant pain in the ass off the pitch at times but that was Mickey <laughs> do you know what I mean every now and again something would happen and you used to get the phone call and here we go again like I that but, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah. And you know I got one call once about something going on in Newcastle yeah no problem like that but I've got a team now one great lad great lad funny as anything witty dry Kenya like that what a good player though and I think we need to make sure that sometimes I look, listen to him now and talking with a plum in his mouth and I think oh he has reinvented himself, well, well done Mickey like that, but I've got to tell you now, great player, great train. I went to Sheffield Wednesday once, I'm going to go back to our bit I've we were under 18s one year and Mickey was at Chef Wednesday and he weren't playing, I think he was coming back from injury and then I looked at this lad running across the top pitch now Mickey was getting some age then by the way and I just went to the lad, see that bloke there? I said, I watched him playing in the reserves at 16. And I said, he'd play in our first. Oh, who is it? And I told him. But he was unbelievable. And then he came up to say hello. It was lovely to see him. Fit as anything. He's, he You've got to give the bloke 100% credit. Outstanding. But that particular moment, would Mickey Grave th- thought how much that would have influenced what he'd done going forward? Probably not, because he probably just wanted to crawl under a stone and that. But what was important, when I go back to what I said about, you know, Tony Cotton and Paul Stewart, is having great people around you. Now, at that particular moment in time, we not only had great players around us, great characters, strong characters, we had great staff. Now, we all come off the pitch, you know, upset and all that lot. And this is my version of things that I still remember, and it might be completely wrong because somebody else might say something different. I can remember sitting in the changing room and it all being quiet because you had crates of champagne and that there and no one wanted to touch it because we'd just been beat. And then Bobby Saxton turning around and saying, ah, well, Mickey, it was a fucking shit penalty, anyhow, like that, and us all starting to laugh and then battering Mickey. And then Mickey's going, ah, nah, you know, like in his accent at the time. It's not like that at all now. He wouldn't say, he'd say, I know now, like that, right? <laughs> and And it was brilliant because it broke the ice straight away. So all of a sudden... We're battering Mickey. Mickey's taking it. We all get in the bath the crack. We get out. We're now having to do the press interviews, and everybody assumed we were going to be, like, really, mm, like that. I remember Nile spoke magnificently about the fact we wouldn't get beat the following year. I followed him, because I then came out, and I'm looking at him going, like, are you for real, like that? And he's going, looking, pulling faces at me. But I thought it was a great opening gambit, because he set the bar so high, but I tell you what we could do, we could still touch it. It wasn't like he went, Daddy. we're gonna win every game, we were all gonna be stupid. ESA would be, it would be unbeaten, I think it was. So he yeah. literally put the bar within touching distance, but it was fingertip distance. And then we we just went upstairs. Um we I would have said we pretty much put it to bed quite quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody was upset, we were probably all okay. Um, I remember me and Quinny wanted to take the kids down on the pitch to have a kick about on the pitch. This was just prior to them knocking Wembley down, going down there. The bloke went, You're not going on there, lads. And we looked at him and went, Listen here, mate. We just him run around in here for 120 minutes. You don't run another five minutes with the kids in the balloon, do you? He went, Fair enough, like that. So we go on <laughs> with, with a balloon. That's all we were playing yeah. with. And then we got on the bus, goes home. I remember Sacco's missus coming on June saying to Bobby, Can the girls get on with the lads and the kids? Which technically you'd have said was a good idea. But Sacco went, No. And that was even better because Saka knew for that period of time, if there's any arguing wanted to go on, if there was anything that wanted to be said, that was the time. Yeah, We get to Darrington, I think it was. We go in there. Reedy went to me, Skip, what do we want to do? Are we stopping or not? And I went, gaff. I said, we've got to stop here and get pissed as farts. I may have said at the time, kids and all, but that was a joke. Right? I didn't really expect this kid to get <laughs> drunk. But it was more a case of, I'll go back to when we got relegated down at uh, Wimbledon we travelled on the bus back after that one, and then all went our separate ways. And my daughter still to this day can remember me being sat on the kitchen floor, upset. We, I didn't have no one to, you know, like commiserate with. You know, it yeah. was like all that hard work, and I had no one to understand why. And it's even when we won the league of 105 points, the boys went out for part of it without the girls, and that wasn't being us. We just need to celebrate together. Yeah. So we, we goes in there. We had a great night. Dickie Orr's up on stage. You know, Dickie didn't play, but he's singing the Ruchachan, the music man. Uh, It was brilliant. Then, obviously, for the rest of the journey, gets back on the bus, the kids and the wives are on it. You know, I think it it must have been then that I I saw Lionel down the front sitting on the steps having a fag on the way up because you could them days. And I've looked at him, and this is this is something again. I go back to knowing people as people. I didn't really know Lionel. Me and Lionel had a clash of personalities. We were totally and utterly different. Sometimes he got on me nerves, and he's gosh, and he probably thought I got like that as well, which yeah. is understandable. And I looked down at him, and he was sat there, and he just looked in a world of his own, smoking his fag like that. And I thought he needs something to go and sit down, put his arm around, him, just say, hey, oh, man, come on," like that. And he was probably the one that was the most upset because. The the I wouldn't have called it a mistake. I would have called it an act of bravery, but a wrong decision when he tried one? to come. Yeah, yeah. To come for the ball because it wasn't the third, was it? Not a fourth. He come Richard for Richard Rufus for the yeah. cross. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, so he made a decision that he knew at that time if he'd got it, the game's probably over with. Yeah. Now that's quite brave. Although at the time it's misguided because it was never coming through those amount of bodies. But you can imagine how it must have felt for him because yeah. he probably. Reflect back on that so much over the course of his career. So his I went contract down. contract as well. Yeah, he's a contract. So I went down and that, uh, and, and to be fair, I sat down on him and went, Oh, we we'll make this a tab then. Now, I didn't smoke at the time. And mid daughter came down and went back to me, Mrs. said, My dad's smoking like that, you know, and I was having a tab <laughs> down the front with him. But you just need to know that it was all of us, not one of us, it was all of us that yeah. suffered, you know. And then I just think. It was just a case of right, put it a bedless move on. We'd already set our target for next year. I think what it is, the minute that game ended, and or sorry, not ended, but the minute we came out the change and spoke to the press, I think everybody in that change knew what we were going to do. Now, reading Saka true. knew we need to get three or four players in if we want to go to that next bit. The lads all wanted to be part of that next bit, and they all just went, right, we know what we want to do. It was like as silly as it sounds they say you get stronger out of a defeat sometimes I, I firmly believe it did but I think it the whole not just the players I think the club did I think people understandably you know sympathise with Mickey but I also think and and taken all into context as well the one person that probably deserved a pat on the back in a different sense was Clive Mendonca because you imagine mm-hmm. how he felt doing what he'd done to us and he's a Sunderland fan but he was absolutely magnificent on the day and should have got all the plaudits he deserved yeah. because he was truly outstanding so I think it was it, it was a great time believe it or not and yeah. then obviously after that you, once you get going the following season you're off and running and and I wouldn't have said probably every game we played brilliant but what we did every game is had a right go yeah. I and mean, we might not have been brilliant every game we had an understanding of how we wanted to play Bobby Saxton was magnificent a plan in a team when you look at the considerations you have Mickey left back and Jono right, uh, left wing well Jono would go inside Mickey go outside yeah. two centre backs I think was it Butts and Mel most Butler of the time and right. yeah. Well Mel was was the footballer Mel was a proper footballer Yeah, and Butts was the hard man like Butts I'm not being funny like brute oh my god Pythies did you say yeah. yeah I mean the bloke was a magnificent team player but if you're in a fight, oh, wait, butts come with us like that. You yeah. know what I mean? They see him coming, and they're run off type thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, Chrissy e. Macon, who, believe and I, had such a great relationship with Nicky Summerbee. Love Chris Making. Right? Well, Chris Making was a consummate professional, by the way. Yeah. Absolutely fit as anything. Great as well. Great lad. Brilliant. And then Nicky was a little bit of a... What's the word we will use for him? Nicky was Nicky. <laughs> Nicky was Nicky. That's probably <laughs> the best thing, like, yeah. Nicky was Nicky, but... He was brilliant at what we wanted for Quinn. And then you had either me and Clark or me and Alex, or Clarky and Alex. You had a group in there that we, co- you know, we sort of all. I mean, I, I think if you had said to me, "Out of you have me and Lee Clark, we get one gets forward, one defends," um, I think Alex was probably the best player of the three of us. I'm, I'm brutally honest. Bit, wasn't he, Alex? I like I, it
0: wasn't Alex. I
1: think what it is of Alex, Alex had an arrogance about him that I don't mean in a horrible way. Alex was a brilliant footballer. You just loved Alex. You know, uh, kind of offended, like, he? he was he wasn't a hard man, he was a topper. And then what you'd do with the backward shuffle. So you he topped someone, caused a fight, and then he'd be at the back of the queue giving it verbs, right? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go, right? But what a good player. So you had players in there that would, you know, would would really make sure that each one of us had the the, the, the skills that suited the other one, type of thing, you know? And then you had Quinny and Kevin up front, where again was great, but then you still had Deech and bridgie to Bridgy. come in and, and that's been again disrespectful to a lot of other players that were you know Mullers and people like that that would have all played their part martin smith martin smith yeah, like talented players we've, we've had naturally yeah yeah players, right? so you look at all of that but if you go back to what you've said at the very beginning it's a collective resilience of a good bunch of lads to say we will and then stick to it and the hardest part will be when things are not going well which did happen the, following season at Christmas, we were playing crew at the Stadium of Light, and I think the game was nil-nil. Crew were battering us. Rodney Jack was giving Mel and the boys at the back a right hard time. The crowd were getting on their backs. I went in and said, listen, concentrate on your jobs. And, and I said, I, said and I did say at the time, I said, you've got to ignore the crowd. Concentrate on your jobs. Do your jobs and they'll be back on their side. At the time, they were doing what you want them, expect them to do. They were venting. Why is that? Because they want to see us hammering tides yeah. like crew. Now, we showed more resilience by technically ignoring what they've done sticking their jobs doing by jobs now by the end of the game when you win it what are they doing they're singing your praises again that's human nature isn't it? if i go got something I don't enjoy I'm not going to sit there and clap when I don't enjoy it am I yeah. you know, if you go to the pitches
0: would you get up and walk out so the reason I asked about sort of Wembley yeah. and obviously talking about recent times as well and I've worded this as best as I possibly can because I think me and you have a, a relatively <laughs> similar opinion on this Um, there's a lot of talk about George Honeyman and his ability to be captain right now you brought George through the academy Yeah, you know George really really well and I think arguably you you know one of us I said at the start one of the greatest on the captains of all time if not the greatest what are your thoughts on George and his ability as captain in what sense are you talking on the pitch off the pitch both why why why? Because I think me and you both think he's the right choice.
1: I one hundred percent think he's the right choice. I think it's also at times how you perceive a captain to be and what you want from your captain. And yeah. everybody has their own idea of what they want from their captain, and and I think they're entitled to that opinion. The modern game, what influence does a um, a captain have on the pitch? Again, that's down to opinion. Some say they want this, some say they want that. The one thing I will say about George is he will not shy away from anybody. And it doesn't matter who he is. He will not. If he's got something to say, whether it's on the pitch, off the pitch, he will say it. Now, I've never seen a game in which George's has played where I've questioned his attitude, his desire, or his ability, really. I've always seen a lad that's give everything for the course. Now, at times, the unfortunate thing is that'll be to the detriment of him. Yeah. Because, you know, it, there might be a role that he, he has to do that because for whatever other reasons, he's doing something different. and And, and really, Jack will explain that probably in better senses of of why he wants him to do that but the one thing with George is he won't come off the pitch saying I could have worked harder he won't he might come off the pitch questioning something he had done I'm not saying that because George will look over his game and that and I just think if we were to say at the time we were in the club we need somebody that understands the club understands the fans understands what it means to play for the club George was the right person yeah Um. If you then take that off the pitch, will George be a shrinking violet when it comes to the changing room? I can categorically tell you no. If he's in the changing room or in training and he needs to rip someone, everyone assume because George's stature, I bet he doesn't say anything. He does. And I'm not saying George would ever get in a scrap because George is a lot more educated than probably what I would have been. That's right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. like yeah. But then if you take it to that for an example, right... It obviously meant something to him, didn't it? He's not shy of getting involved and it and, and if it came to
0: it, he'd be straight in there. And it could not a question it. was him defend to me, it was him defending his teammates in the way that Alex Ray, Kevin Ball, right. Mal Quinn. When you go back to that
1: situation sorry, when you go back to that situation, I'm sure I said at the time when they were talking about it, I went, Hold up. I'm not saying George was right what he'd done. Mm-hmm. But isn't that what we want from our players? Isn't exactly. that what we want from our captains? Isn't yeah. that what we want from somebody that's prepared to play for Sunderland Football Club who it means everything to? So, again, you'll have different opinions on it. You could have some people that say the captain should know better. You'll have other people that say good on the captain for getting involved. So you'll have a variation of opinions on the matter. My thing was at the time, and I did say this as well, good on him. Yeah. If that's what he felt he needed to do at the time to defend one of his members of staff or members of staff of the club or his teammates, I'd be the first to say, good on you, George, just next time you shouldn't have got caught. Yeah. You know, like that. If it's a sly right hook, which I've done in the past, then like, yeah, so be it. But like I said, I I regularly go out for, for lunch with George. We talk about things. We laugh. We had lunch the other day, um, hour and a half it might have been. And we were laughing about football yeah. things most of the time and situations I was talking to him about, he was talking to me about. Um, he he's he also knows he's lucky that he's got some really good people at the club. Obviously with Cats leaving, you know that was a big ally of his. So he's very good friends with Cats, but he's got a lot of good senior players at the club that George will bounce things off of. But I, I've got to tell you, George it doesn't matter whether it, it, put it this way, right? George doesn't mind nailing me if he has to nail me about something. Yeah, right. And he knows that if I had to nail him as a young player, I would do it, but it'd be the best intentions. George not it's just sometimes I don't know whether it's what people want from him or they don't see it but yeah I think he's the right person because he does care about what we do
0: yeah same I agree 100% yeah. now I think this is probably about the fourth time we've chatted and I still kind of get all my questions across know, but we have, do yeah. have we do have a couple of Twitter questions right, go on. right I'll get I'll get shot if I don't ask this Long story oh, short, right. go
1: on then. I will bet it's about Vinny Jones.
0: Yes, well yeah. there you go. Right. The Vinny Jones story. Did you really pin him up against the wall at Roker Park? Right. Firstly, what stays in that the, means yes. Uh, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say what happens in the, the corridor stays in
1: the corridor. Do you know it's funny the amount of times that story gets brought up, and it's part and parcel of maybe that era of what we were like with each other. I remember playing against Vinny for Portsmouth. I remember he was, and still is for me, a player that was absolutely magnificent at making the most of what he had yeah now I have this big argument nowadays about footballers in general what what makes a good footballer for me a good footballer is someone that makes the most of what he's got and and I I won't tell you the name of the person I used to sit and talk to about him at times and he would cane him used to say he's not a footballer but I used to disagree I used to say well one I've played against him many times to know he's a person that would never ever leave anything on the pitch bar and six studs down your shins like that if yeah. he could um, I remember like I said watching them at Ports when we played against them I remember then watching him I mean that was when I played sorry for Ports I remember being <laughs> down at Leeds and Tony Norman kicking the ball out Vinny controlling it on his thigh and then volleying it back and then putting it over Tony's head now when people talk about skill if I said to you right there's 100 footballers See if they can do that. If you're one that can, everyone will go, you're a great footballer. Yeah. He did. So for me, he was a brilliant footballer. I don't care what anybody says. Like, And you can dress it up how you want to look at it from a technical point of view, a physical point of view, a tactical point of view because let's face it, he knew his job and he knew his job yeah. well. So when people say, well, okay then, who should we look up to? Now, did Vinny at times want to get involved with punching other people in the air? Of course he did. Why is that? Because... That was the style of player we were. But we'd walk off the pitch afterwards and shake hands.
0: Yeah. Now,
1: I saw Vinny a couple of years ago at Watford, and, and he was with one of his former managers. And I asked at the time, I went, oh, and he said, oh, he said, oh, he's poorly. And and he said, I'll come every year to take him. Now, we're now talking, right, an actor. Yeah. You know what I mean? An LA actor. We're not just talking a footballer that lives around the corner. We're talking about someone who makes the effort to come over and see him. We're talking about somebody that makes an effort to go and really technically say thanks to someone that's looked after yeah. him. So I've got you know, I, I love him. Me, I laugh when I watch him on the TV, obviously because I used to used to play against him. Lock, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But everything that he does now, what what is he doing again in in the acting world? He's utilising what he is. So for me, is that not unbelievable sense? It's brilliant.
0: You did nail him though, didn't you? Let's move on. <laughs> Uh, somebody asked I thought it was a good question it's kind of a basic one but I thought it was a good one who would win in a fight between you and John Kay well it's interesting because I don't think either of us would give up yeah
1: that's the downside none, none, none of us would give up so we'd probably well, it sounds awful this I was able to kill John Kay like, or anything like <laughs> that um, the but lad I think that asked. You but, said, yeah, uh, yeah. but Casey is like <laughs> Casey uh, again what can we talk about how can I politely say "Better take the role I presume he's still I haven't spoke to John for a long time um was a role that he involved with uh, with if I again young people in Chesley Street surrounding areas this is what last thing I knew he'd done and helping them in situations they're in, right? Without evolving and going into it too much. Now when I used to say to people about that, they go, what John Kay? And I go, Oh no. So if you knew John Kay as a person, you'd know yeah he was the perfect person for that because he wouldn't judge them and he wouldn't condemn them but he would try and help him, and we spent a lot of time together and I, I, I'll tell you a funny story we went uh, I think it was Ibiza after the 92 Cup Final right and I'll never forget it because I was distraught after the Cup Final I think it was no it wasn't the Cup Final it was 1990 when we got relegated I think with Dennis Smith but I'm trying to think which one it was well anyhow long story short I ended up being roomed with um, it might have been the 92 Cup Final actually Timmy Carter Brian Mooney, John Kay, and me, right? But that's four of us in a one-bedroom apartment, so the other two are on camp beds, right? So you can imagine what it was like. Now, I didn't want to go out. I'm sure it might have been actually when we got relegated. I didn't want to go out. I thought, no, I'm not going out. I wasn't in the mood and I wasn't a big drinker then. I didn't want to go out. So the boys all go out. I thought, I'm going to bed. So I go to bed. And then whatever time, there's a knock at the door and there's Casey. Right. So I've looked at him and I just run my bath, right? Okay. Ready to get ready to go out. Okay. So I go back to get in my bath, bearing in mind I'd let him in. He's already in my bath. Right. <laughs> so I've looked at him like that and I thought, well, what do I do now? So i you know, just get, so I get in the other end. So now I'm sat in one end of my bath with him at <laughs> the other end, like looking at each other. So then I want to wash my hair. So you put water on your end, you put a bit of soap in your air and wash it. But what I kept thinking was, I can't get the soap out. What I didn't realise was Casey was holding the shampoo above <laughs> me head, so all I was doing was just putting more and more and more and more on me head. So anyhow, I finally get showered up I went right. Are you going back out with me? Then he went, yeah. So we all go to order a taxi. Bloke in reception went, oh, that'd be five whatever for a, to order it. I went, oh, I'll just go and get one. So we finally get a taxi. Now bearing in mind we're going from our hotel back into the town um, to find the boys, right? We get to taxi. I can just remember him hanging out the window, abusing everybody and anybody as we drove down the road and taxi, me, trying to drag him in. And he wasn't being nasty. It was just John yeah. being John. We get there. I find the lads. And John just went, oh, I've had enough of going back. <laughs> and he went back, right? And again, without going into personal detail then. So you get to know these people a lot more like that. Yeah. And one night we went back. And Timmy Carter, God rest his soul, was out with the lads, and me and Casey must have gone back. And I'm not sure if it was a night me and Casey went to a, um, a bar, and it was just me, John, and the barman, all right? So we sat having a beer, not really talking, just having a beer and a bit of crack. And he was then just telling me about his family background, and he was telling me things that I knew nothing about. Yeah. And I'll never forget it, because the way he done it, I just literally had my pint here, and I just looked at him like that. And that was probably when you then got to know John Kay yeah. a little bit deeper, shall we say, like that. And and I loved it. And I'll never forget that because it was like that was probably the beginning of just us having, you know, a good relationship. So it goes back to the apartment. Me and him are not drunk, really. You know, the blo- the bloke in that bar who we were buying drinks was great because it was like it put me a beer down, him a beer down, then he would put some snacks there. It was, it was just surreal, yeah. like, you know. So we go back and I'm not drunk on out like that. And... We're laying in bed and then Timmy comes back. And Casey's going, right, listen, he knew Timmy, like, loved him. He went, what he's going to do, he's going to come in here and he's going to snog you. Just let him do it. Then he'll leave you alone and go to bed. (laughs) So I'm laying there thinking, really? Like that? Well, I swear to God, right? He came in, he pinned Casey, snogged him. And I'm (laughs) laying there thinking, it's my turn now, (laughs) like that, right? And he came over and I'm just laying there, mortified looking at him. (laughs) And he did, right? And he went back into the bit where he was on a camp bed. And all I could hear was him singing, Ooh, do you think you're kidding, me, Mr. hip? Cause he thought he was on an <laughs> army camp bed. And then it went deathly silent. So I'm going to Casey, do you think he's all right? Casey I'm not going in to check. Like that, right? Are you talking grown men? So I thought, oh no. So I gets up, I'm going in, and I'm actually got my ear right there just making sure he's okay. And once I heard him breathe, I thank God for that, and went back in. (laughs) Never said nothing about it the next day. That would have been it. And so Casey and I had that sort of thing. We once had a spat in training, and I used to pick Casey up one morning, he'd pick me up the next morning. So this day, I picked him up, took him training. We nearly had a fight in training. I think he went to do me, so I went to do him. So after training, now I've got to bring him back, but we weren't talking to each other. And we must have gone from Roker Park to near his out, and all he kept doing was going... (sighs) Like that to me all the time, right? And in the end, I went casey. So we just talk. He went, aye. And that was it yeah. done and dusted. Some of the stories I could tell about him. Character, he's probably by far and away the best character I've ever met in my entire career for somebody that one was a really, really, really good footballer. Yeah. Two, yeah, he was a little bit nuts. You know, I mean, he tells me about the story when he went to Scarborough. I'm sure it was Scarborough. Yeah, he it. And uh he's driving back from Scarborough and he got pulled over by the police for speeding. So when the policeman said, Um, what do you do for a living? He said, oh, I'm a footballer, and the policeman turned around and said, Well, you do realize um your football career would be over if you, you know, have an accident, at eighty mile an hour like that. And he's meant to have said to the copper, Do you not think my career's already over? I'm playing for Scarborough like that. <laughs> do you <laughs> see what I mean? Casey for one liners was fantastic. Yeah. For coming out with something that will just make you just laugh your head off. But with my kids, he was great. Him and Carol, absolutely brilliant. And I haven't spoke to him for a long time because as with everything, I always said to all the lads I've ever played with, you know where I am. I know where you are. If you need me, just ring me. Not a problem. If I need you, I'll ring you. But don't think it's something that we have to do every day because we all have our own lives and that, but just understand if you ever need any help or anything, give me a ring. Because if I need you, I will ring you like that. And I know my kids loved him you know what i mean he is he is just a character that you can never ever i mean like i said uh you you know you meet his mum and dad i think his his mum slapped me around the head once for saying the word f in front of her now like i was probably what twenty seven twenty eight yeah. at the time like you know um you meet their families and you go round to uh carol's mom's house, see our dad and mum for drinks in new year's Eve and you know, like uh, going—I think it was first foot over the threshold on a New Year's Eve. I had to do them uh, oh, yeah, and yeah. that, and all these traditions they have up here. Like I said, so I was very fortunate. That I probably came to the club at a time when, again, I go back to what I've said all the time: the characters at the club were pivotal to success. Relatively, I guess we did get rele- relegated that year, but you have to also take into account. Really, spent next to nothing to try and stay in the league, and if yeah, you don't, of course. yeah. But now Casey would win of a fight at Casey, put it this way: whoever did win, they'd be in a pretty bad bite at the end of it, either way. Like, yeah,
0: but uh, great lad, absolutely love him. And there's a final one that I wanted to ask, which I think I think is a good question. Actually, I'm quite curious. But which player, who maybe wasn't seen as like a hard man, I'm talking about Sunderland players, players who played alongside, was actually surprisingly hard as Neil?
1: I always go back to this story that. Darius Kubicki was, was the ultimate consummate professional worked religiously hard um, came in immaculate went home worked, like I said you can't fault him for he well. was, was an outstanding player I got the blame for him being dropped at Derby by Reedy because obviously that would have been the most performances and obviously Reedy left him out for Gareth and then there's on, and Reedy had a go at me for not telling him and I went to Reedy Will. You didn't know. I said, how was I to know like that? You know, and I got the blame for that. If Reedy had known that, you wouldn't have done it because that's something that Darius, to be fair, at the time had earned. Because don't get me wrong, there was a degree of Darius that was a little bit selfish, Mm -hmm. right? And at times he literally would, when I say do his job, you know, like sometimes when you're doing your job, you sometimes have to sacrifice a bit of you for somebody else. You know, like if you go out on a night out, you know, you're together, you don't. You know, and sometimes Darius maybe had that a little bit that some players didn't like, that they were guys selfish, like he's just worries about himself. But if that was Darius' way of getting ahead, that was Darius' way of making sure he stayed where he was, you have to sort of understand that. Now, if you get into a situation where you can blatantly go to and Darius a bang out of order there because, A, you know, when that happened, you should have done this. If you can educate him on it, so be it. Yeah. But you also have to understand, Darius has got his missus. I think he had he had a little girl at the time. Yeah, in another country, he's just wanted to make sure he keeps himself going. Yeah, couldn't course. fault him at all. I'm not going to tell you the player's name, but anyhow, so there was a spat between two players, right? And it got to the stage where they wanted to have a scrap, right? So this particular player obviously fancied his chances. So it's going to be this. We're going to do that. So the next day, I went right. If you want to have a scrap, that's fine. In the players' lounge pair of you have your fight, and then that's it, finished. Because I used to say, well, if you want to have a fight that badly, get it over and done it. I just with. do it. Right? But, and most players don't want to fight. In training, they stand up to each other, don't really want to fight. Right? So in the end, we went, if you want to do it, do it. Right? So he all goes in there, and the two of them start. And the lad that thought he was going to batter Darius got battered. And it, not battered as in, but Darius was also, what he didn't know was a bit of a boxer. <laughs> and Darius punched his head in. But the funniest thing was we were all laughing because we had to stop it. Because yeah. in the end, it had battered him. So yeah. it, it was funny because this lad went in with thinking, I'm going to give him it. Like, you know, like the shrug of the shoulders. And Darius popped him all over. It was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And in the end, we've had to get in between them yeah. and just go, right, enough's enough like that. So Darius, added it in amongst them. Yeah. Darius. But I think, right, when you talk about being hard, I think people sometimes have to have the perception there's. What is a hard player? What is a competitive player? What is a player that would do anything and everything to win a game of football? And then when they get off the pitch, they don't really. Nobody really wants to fight anybody, do they? No. Because unless you have to to defend yourself, what does it really gain? But on the pitch, I'd have kicked shit out of anybody to win a game of football, and I can't help that. And I'm not lying when I do it. To defend yeah. the teammates, I'd have done it. Um, That's just the way it was. Whether or not that was going back to me, dad, when he used to know it was about the winning thing of within reason, you do anything and everything to win a game of football. I can't help it. I believe that, yeah. Because ultimately, why do you go out there eleven v eleven? You got to win the game. You don't go there. Yeah, there is an etiquette. Don't get me wrong, and there is being a sportsman. I understand that. But maybe in the days when we played, you, you you could have that thing where you might do something that you shouldn't do to win a game of football, and. Is football becoming pure now with everything? Yeah, possibly. And you know, as if, as life evolves, that's the way it's going. And and the the modern generation probably want to see that. If you took it to our generation, they probably wouldn't have wanted to see it because they enjoyed seeing somebody slightly right hook someone, you know, like and getting away. with You know, you've made the picture of Billy Bremner. You know, yeah. you would you imagine that now? You'd ne- you'd never play again. No. Now that era, there will have been people that loved it, and there will have been one or two that went, "That's a disgrace," but that's life, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so. I, I can't say I would change what I was as a player how I played the players I came up against that hurt me and there was plenty of them I wouldn't knock them for doing it I'd like to think I might have hurt them a little bit more you know um, but it was just a good time to play yeah yeah, it was it was a good time to play and like I said you you, you talk about that story with Vinny people underestimate how good the footballers were then yes there is a technical, some of the skills you see nowadays. But like I said, there's a lot more to football than just twiddling on the ball, shall we say.
0: Tackling, passing, heading. Well, I, I had this debate
1: with people and they say to me, "The guy, are you Kevin... Uh, Kevin Ball," <laughs> And I go, I oh, like that guy. Oh, you, you weren't the best of players. Now, I used to just ignore them. Yeah. Because I used to think, oh, they're uneducated in what really makes takes a footballer. Nowadays, I go, well, go on, then why'd you say that? And they don't know what to say. Then I list a set of skills that you do have. Now, have you ever seen the film Taken? Yeah. Liam Neeson has a particular set of skills. I yeah. had a particular set of skills. I made the most of them, right? Yeah. And then when I start saying to him, well, is heading the skill? Is tackling the skill? Is leadership a skill? Is, you know, could I kick, kick the ball with both feet? Could you? Well, yeah, so that's what, you know, so as I'm you Juno, I got sent a, a YouTube thing, not long ago, I don't know where it's from, mm-hmm. the compilation of the goals I scored. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. yeah and that's what people don't understand for somebody that technically Saka used to say don't go past there your job is to do this which I've done and I think also digressing a little bit your coach appreciating what you're really good at is the most important thing because yeah. Saka would go Kevin Phillips scores the goals but who gets the ball for Kevin Phillips to score the <laughs> goals he it go Kevin Ball like that by just appreciating <clears throat> what I'd done, also it might not be seen in the wider picture, yeah. made me keep wanting to do that. Yeah. And but going back to some of the goals I scored, I, I saw the volley against Sheffield United in the playoff final. The technique, and I'm going to sound big-headed here, and I don't mean to, is brilliant. I see the one that Chris Waddler, corner. How many people? To, yeah, yeah, would score now. And like I said, Wolves away, last minute. Yeah. And there's the one down at Derby past Peter Shilton where I lobbed him. Yeah. Now. Would there have been one or two that I missed like Spurs away when Mickey Gray headed it back towards me and Ian Walker was in goal and I just had to put it in the corner and I put it wide of the post? Yeah, absolutely. So I have missed a few like that as well. But people underestimate that side of things
0: as well. The diving header was the best.
1: Yeah, and I think the diving header because, again, it's a textbook move, isn't it? When you actually analyse that move, how it's gone from one area to another area and then you say to Young Plaza, tell you what, you know, I'll give you a, a run for midfield to get on the time of getting on the end of a cross. And, you know, it's only when you go into coaching you start looking at it like that. Yeah. But at the time, all I kept thinking was what a chance. And Andy Melville, I think I may have missed a couple prior to that. I think he said to me after the game, he said, All I kept thinking was for Christ's sake, put this one away. <laughs> you know, and you look at that game that night. So you look at that game that night. You're playing against Chelsea live on Sky. They've got a lot of big hitters. And we go and pan them so yeah and it was they're the sort of nights when you talk about looking back in your career full Roker Park live on Sky and I've actually still got the bottle of champagne I got that night for Man of the Match still yeah. got it in my study and I look at no, it's the dining room and I still look at it and laugh and I think why is it still here? you know 20 odd years later
0: Kevin always a pleasure talk a bit longer if you want got yeah. another 15 on. minutes as long go as I get on. home for two yeah go on then right okay so we said it was going to be the last question but no it's not I'll tell you one thing I really wanted to ask so, slightly away again from the playing career. I said I was going to talk about playing career, but there's something I was quite interested in. I suppose it does tie in with your playing career yeah. as well. Um, someone who is revered in a really, really similar way to yourself in more recent times Lee Catamore. Yeah. Um, they've, you know, we've recently parted yeah. ways. I think we all know kind of the reason is probably financials behind it. Um. But do you think, what do you think we're losing with Lee Catamore going? It's interesting because I... I, I... And I'm, I'm going
1: to give Lee a ring because I've no doubt there have been plenty of people that will have rang him and thanked him for, for what he'd done for the club, really. You know, in terms of... I'm going to talk about his services. It sounds awful, done not it, that? But you just want. he said something to me once, and he was talking about myself, Narl Phillips, Kim Phillips and that, talking about how he wanted to be seen when he finished his career, that he wanted to be seen as somebody to give their all for Sunderland Football Club and revered in the sense of being a legend and that. And he said that to me many years ago. And I took it as a big compliment because this was, I think he was our club captain at the time and yeah. that. And and I thought, well, if you're telling me you want to do that, then you're going to have to live up to that as well. So that means that's a challenge to himself as it is. But I thought it was great of him. And I thought brilliant like that. Now, if we were to sort of digress back a bit over his career, I remember the silly sendings off he used to get. And I used to go to him, if you're going to get sent off, make it worthwhile. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Because some of his, his sending offs were petulant as I called it to him second at the time Yeah, like second that. yellows yeah. and I said so if you're going to do it make it worthwhile and give him credit he would listen but we all have our ways of doing things and Lee had his ways of doing things the one thing that you could never fault Lee for was his will and his want to be as good as he could be playing with injuries or not and to be as good as he could be playing for us Yeah, because of the pride he had in his own performances And if you want to be revered as a a legend at a club, you've got to make sure you back that up. And Lee, as much as he could, back that up. Now, when you see towards the latter, stage, there was a period of his career where, you know, it was touted as being an England player. We had a system at the time that uh, that sort of really under Poyer that really showed him in a different light. Um, He probably enjoyed that as well. There's other times he's been used in a different role, but he's he's done that. I think he thoroughly enjoyed the roles of getting forward and scoring goals, which for me was great watching because yeah. I loved that. I, I used to love saying to Clarkie, listen, you have a rest, I'm going to try and score now. Now, when you see Lee getting forward, and see the look on his face when he scored and the goals return he had, it weren't bad. I also think you've got to take into account he's he's gone through the pain barrier when he talks about of injuries for the greater good. Um, yeah. You know, his hip injuries to go and speak to him about it. And it, I think... Without going into detail again, I'm not sure how long he had the injury for, but I know he tried playing for it, then he'd drop out, then he'd come back. So because of this, you're basically I'm gonna say peeing against the wind because you're trying to keep yourself as fit as you can because you needed to play. He actually told me, really, not helping yourself at all because all you're gradually doing is making it worse and worse, and you're then struggling to be that as good as what you can be. Then people start questioning your performance and that. And I take it back to we had a young player once in in a really important game, and he was poorly. Now I said to him, "Look, do you think you could play?" I went, "If you do, give it a right go." I went, and if it doesn't happen and you to play not particularly well because it was a really really big game at the time, I went, "It's my job to say no." We spoke about it. He would give it a go and it didn't work out, but you defend him like that. And the particular player at the time played, I had to give him a little talking to it half time because he didn't give it a proper go. And Mm. then he was brilliant second half. So I I could give him the plaudits of saying, well done. I think as a manager, when you know your players are playing with injuries, whilst you don't want to give away secrets to opposition and that, he, he should have been rightly defended because there was a time that he would have been playing with this injury that, curtails your performances you know it's it sort of I would have had to play i say 100% because I played with loads of injuries over my careers but you always want to be as strong as you can and as fit as you can and if you're asked in an elite league like the Premier League to play not 100% fit not often you're going to get away with it either but no. you have to give the bloke credit he kept trying he kept trying he kept trying then it culminates in the last few years where he's had to have the operation Um so he has what I cast as a bit part season there because of it. then he has the operation, his first game back, he plays Derby, I think it was, and he played really, really well and then after that, he didn't really hit the heights you would have expected of somebody of Lee Catmorell's stature, I fully expected that because, having been in a situation many years ago where I had a major injury that meant I was out for nearly a year, it took me a good year to come back and yeah. it and it did affect my career. No, no ports affected effective the injury I had I had a thing called lateral compartment syndrome and I played with it for a long period of time then I had to have an operation on it and the surgeon when I came around actually went how the hell you've carried on playing with this I don't know and it's probably because of the fact the manager at the time had said to me he had spoke to the surgeon which is actually a, probably the biggest bloody lie ever <laughs> who said I could carry on playing but it wouldn't do any extra damage but well, I did mm-hmm. so it took me a year to get over there so with Lee I knew that year was going to be a year where it was going to be a be tough for him. You, you're now all of a sudden saying to your body, right, we need to go back to this again now. Week in, week out. Push yeah. yourself, push yourself. Week in, week out. So you have the the physical side. You have the emotional side. You get all of these aspects come back into your game again. So did he have a season that he'd look back? And now again, I can't, I'm, I might be talking bullshit here, but I wouldn't have said it was the greatest of seasons.
0: season. No, it really wasn't. Yet
1: and season so mind. now all of a sudden, you're in a, a league where the situation we're in. Now, you could argue Lee Catmull, had a great season last year. Yeah, he
0: had a year. very
1: good season. One, I do think that's because the injury is probably behind him. And, and I've no doubt I'd be grateful to all our medical department because ultimately you have to find a solution. You get it, you do it. But I expected Lee Catamol would do well last year. I expected Lee Catamol, with his stature, his playing ability, to do well in League One. Now, if you expect that of somebody, and they actually do it, that's the time you pat them on the back. Yeah. Because... They've done what you expected them to do. They've lived up to that reputation of being what he should be. Then it gets to the stage now where obviously the club have done what they've done. Lee for for George will be a big miss. So somebody needs to step into the breach there to help him, you know, because ultimately, even when I I left the club and, and I had time at Fulham and, and Burnley, I said to their captain, Right, you know, I've been the captain for seven and a half years or eight years, whatever it was. Um you're the captain here. All I'm saying is I'm here if you need me. Anything you want, anytime. I'm here if you need me. Went uh, and that was to Chris Coleman. Believe it or not, went to Burnley. My mate Stevie Davis was captain. Skip. Mm-hmm. I loved him. Like went to him. Said right, you know, I'm here. So there was never. I want to be captain. I wasn't interested in that. But if I had to be captain, not a problem. But I'll be there for him. So with that, now that somebody else needs to now step forward, and actually, not re- replace Lee, because and everybody's no one's irreplaceable. But he would be a big character missed around the changing room, around the ground. As a, as a player of our football club, it'd be a big, big miss. But then if you look back, and I, what was his total
0: appearances then? Come on, who, who are not, no in, one? No. For like across his son and career? Yeah. I don't have the internet in front of me and we'll go uh, Well, right, okay, out. well, I'll tell you what. Then. A lot though. So let's have a look and see what it is. It must be at least a few hundred, at least. Let's have a look. So if we're looking at... Cats. His total Sunderland appearances: 261. Yeah. Now, again, over how long? Nine seasons. Nine seasons. But again,
1: take into account injuries and the fact that he used to get sent off bloody often and all that (laughs) lot, you know, and the suspensions and that. It's still a decent turn. Yeah. You know, so he'll be a big miss in general around the club. But again, I think massive pat on the back to him because the one thing you can't really question for his effort and endeavour and turn around and want to be as good as he possibly could be. So yeah. go back to what I said about footballers. That is it. You, you the art of any footballer or anybody in general is is it is having your potential and surpassing what you can and being as good as you possibly can. And like I say, it'd be a big miss, Lee. Big miss for George. Um but again, George will have other people that can step into that priest to support him. Grant, people like Grant will do it already anyhow, but like that. Um but what you do now, you say you wish Lee all the best and whatever he chooses to do next. I mean, what is he, 31 now? 32? 31. 32. 31. So he's still got a few years ahead of him. Now, will he play in England? He might have said, actually, I fancy a little trip to the MLS or something like that. Who yeah. knows where he's going to end up? But the one thing he should do and he will do and we all should do is look, look back on his time with us and just say thanks. Yeah. He's another one that got it. And I think when you get it and it gets under your skin, you go away upset because you don't want to really
0: leave but you know at the time it's the right thing to do yeah do so we got time for one more yeah go on then. so let's see which one could we'll go for good question I think yeah. who is the hardest character to captain like did he ever have to have stern words with someone or you just you didn't connect with him and you found it quite a challenge as a captain uh, that's quite a tough one that really because the tough question Defended so such on Lionel before, and you said like yeah, you're different people.
1: I'll I tell you, Lionel, um, maybe it's Tommy Sorensen a little bit as well. When I think about it, I think I once told Tommy Sorensen <laughs> to shut the f up in drinks. he was getting on my <laughs> nerves, she's shouting at us. Um, Tommy was, was, wasn't was difficult, but he was just a quite a, again, as a goalkeeper, maybe that's what it was. See, but i also got to tell you this I love my goalkeepers. Yeah. Like I loved my goalkeepers. Is that where you, think... huh? you try to love them? Is that where you try to love them? Yeah, I think what it was with Tommy, I just want to make sure he was concentrating. Um, <laughs> no, I love my keepers. I think that's one of the hardest positions ever. And I just think, you know, our job is to protect them and their job, if it's the last call, is to save us type thing, you know. Yeah. Lionel was a character, what he was, what he was. Did I connect with him? No, but I, I really look at it now, probably with Tommy, I probably should really take a sense of responsibility of that myself. I don't think there's anybody over the course of my career I could look back and go what a pain in the arse he was because I think in the main they are what they are can you change them no you can manage them you can sort of guide them and sometimes you might have to say I've ah, got no chance of him and if, yeah. if it gets to the stage where you think you've got no chance you're probably not going to be playing anyhow because the manager would have already seen it but I don't think there's many that I could really look back and it's difficult I mean, I've no doubt if someone said what about him I'd go
0: ah oh, like that
1: um, anybody you think that might have been a challenging
0: it's Top of my head. Yeah. See, no so it was so, a good, it was a good core of to, to use a, a David Moyes phrase, British, British players, yeah, and you know, all like from a similar sort of area, like Alex Ray Clarkie Yeah. I think,
1: I think what it is in the course of the playing, time, I do if you go become a manager. I think one of the most important things because the involvement of football and the way it's gone is understanding when people from different cultures, different ways of life come to you, yeah. is you've got to understand that. You can't expect them to just go, yeah, we're going to be like you, because they're not. They're, mm-hmm. they're not. So you've got to understand them to sort of, and that sounds really weird, this, understand them to manoeuvre them into our way of doing things, but also give them good reason why it'll work. Because if it's work for them doing what they do, why would they want to come here and change what they do? Yeah. Now, if you don't choose to do that, and you get problems, well, that's down to you. Thomas Helmer. RBC with Thomas Helmer. Thomas Helmer,
0: what would you have said the problems with him was? You can only go based on rumours, but I think it was... Give me a rumour. Bobby Saxton had a disagreement with Thomas Helmer because Thomas came from Bayern Munich, just played in the Champions League final, felt a certain team should play a certain way. Bobby Saxton was of a different opinion. And there was a clash of cultures, shall we say. So, at the end of that season, where did we finish? Seventh. Right.
1: Who's right then? Bobby Saxton. Now, I've got to tell you this. That's an <laughs> Every argument. Time. To it, right? <laughs> so, what I will say to you about Tommy Elmer, right? I played with Tommy a few times in the reserves. I think we played in the first team together. Whatever the reasons were, Saka would never have said it out of spite or anything like that. It would have been a football judgment Yeah. at that particular time for us, right? And what I go back to what I said when we won the league the art of a good manager is balancing a team right is we all have a philosophy in the way we want to play if your players are not capable of that why do you try and play like that yeah. because all you're going to do is end up in trouble so we might I might want to say oh, I want to play out from the back and I look at me back and think "Well, no chance like, right we can't do that I need to find another solution do you see what I'm saying yeah yeah,
0: yeah of course.
1: now Sacco knew the most important thing to do was to balance a team and if he felt at that time that wasn't with Thomas unless it was a back
0: three,
1: mm-hmm. he, he's, he's entitled to say that because ultimately, he's the one going to get the tin tack if it don't work. Now, whatever the disagreement was, they've called it, but that season, we end up seventh, so you have to turn around and go to Sacco. Actually, you've got some bollocks for actually doing that yeah, because it's a big call, bearing in mind where Thomas had come from. In Thomas's defence, I'd never, and S- Stefan Schwartz is another one I can actually put into that, I'd never seen a player come in Every day, train magnificently, play in the reserves just in case he was called upon magnificently and all time be a great bloke. Yeah. I've, done, I've come across Thomas ever since, but he was, again, somebody that when you talk about players that could have been difficult, Thomas wasn't. Never complained. No. And Stefan I mean, was a great pro and I still speak to him now, but Thomas was outstanding, like Come in immaculate, trained hard, played in the reserves, never an argument, and that's credit to him. And now, when you consider where he's come from, mm-hmm. could he have spat his dummy out? Yeah, he probably could have done, but I think Thomas was was slightly above that sort of thing. Yeah, but again, you know, Saka managed the situation for me brilliantly because that's how he
0: felt. Got on, one more question, then I better go now. Right, I've got garden to do. <sighs> what we got? oh right on the subject since you've asked Bobby Saxton now we've spoken about Bobby Saxton in private a lot and I love Bobby Saxton just from the stories yeah Um, we've all heard the Reedy stories we've all heard the good funny stories about Reedy and we all know the character he is but what's your best and funniest memory of Bobby Saxton I don't know really I hate it when you do this
1: (laughs) I just think uh, Sacco was. I've got I think what's important first is when Sacco sort of moved roles I think it was the wrong decision at the time yeah I did say that at the time when Adrian so. Heath went into yeah. And, that, yeah and at the end of the day you know whatever happened and why it happened we might not know the full SP of it all but I did say at the time I wasn't sure about that because Bobby Saxon's knowledge of football is immense but his understanding of people goes beyond that yeah so Sacco and I had a great relationship. i was still going to see him now, and he moves the pine, pine pots about. We went to the Beamish Mary, I think. Or was it, the Beamish Mary? I can't remember where we were. And we met for dinner. This was a little while ago, actually. He told me what I was having. I had to have the mixed grill. We got there at 6 o'clock, and, we st- and then once we had dinner, we had the crack, and then we'd go on about football. And it must have been maybe it's 9 o'clock. And you know where you're just concentrating on each other by now, right? Yeah. But you know other people are milling around you. And then it went quiet, and they were just looking at us. We looked up, and everybody was just looking at us. And it was the start of the quiz, and they basically wanted us <laughs> to piss off. Like, do you know what, <laughs> what I mean? I went, "Sack." I think it's about time we left like that. I was at Ramside not long ago, with his Neil and him. Neil goes to go, so me and Sack. had an hour of a coffee, and he's up in the there talking football, starting positional play. And I mean, God knows what age he is now, but he can't help his enthusiasm for it. So he's again somebody that might be in the situation now where. He still is somebody that you, for me, could call upon and go, mm-hmm. right, what do you think of this? Now, it doesn't mean you have to do what he says, but he'd give you a solution yeah, or an opinion. But Sacco was funny because uh we played down at Liverpool, for an, an example, right? And I was meant to mark Steve McManaman and talk about Darius, right? So there's a set play. I was back of his corner and I don't think for some reason I went up or something happened and I ended up in Darris's position covering us as a back four and Maneman started running the other way now for that particular moment I don't think Darris probably even thought of it Darris just made his way back to here to fill this gap not realising we'd said we'll stay with until the ball goes dead again so he left him so Maneman breaks forward and only rifles a ball in from 30 yards in the top corner proper by the way right I'm now in the right back position he does that I think I started running after him going please don't score as I'm running after him you know what I mean and then Sacco started didn't he I could hear him from the bench Barley and i am giving the rubber ear didn't I I wouldn't look over there because I knew he was going (laughs) to give me it and he was quite good right so he left it never said a thing now I've got to get the timings all right here I don't know if this was the right time and then we might have gone to Grimsby I might get this wrong so if I am I'm wrong, but we played the game. I only had a row, with, had a big row with Reedy. No, it wasn't that. When did he do it? But anyhow, I, I don't know if it was then, but we ended up having a words, me and Sacco, right? And, and he just threw it out there. Anyhow, where the I call you when Manaman scored at Liverpool? It's like he, he stayed within him <laughs> for weeks then all of a sudden when he knew he could nail me he go and then anyhow where the fuck were you when McManaman scored and I just looked at him and I have probably totally just crumbled at the time <laughs> do you know what I mean but I'm not sure if it then was when we played Grimsby and I'd had a row with Reedy about something and we went out that night and uh, to Manchester for a few drinks everybody stayed down and we're in this club and my mate from America was over and Sacco wanted to get the ball out right And I went, suck a man. The boys are out. Ain't the time to get the ball out. And I think that's when he started going, ah, so we're a big footballer, are we? Think you can do this, can He's in the middle of the nightclub starting to make out. And he literally systematically caned me as a footballer (laughs) in there. My mate was behind him crying with laughter because he said, my mouth just dropped. But I'm sure that might have been the time. And he said, anyhow, where the fuck were you when McManaman scored like that? But it was like he stored it. Do you know what I mean? Um, Or the other one was funny, was... uh, the year we won the uh, championship with 105 points, I was still in the zone. Yeah. Because I didn't want to lose a game. Once we won the league, I didn't want to lose a game. Let's keep going like that. So I'm training like an idiot still. And Nicky Summerby kicked me. So I've looked round and gone to Sacco. Sacco, that's a penalty. Like, and I probably said a few swear words as well. And he went, me, you F in what? I went, it's an F in penalty. What's it now like that? Ah, uh, stop training. Actually, stop training to walk over. Ah, <laughs> oh, He says you've kicked the shit out of the lads all year he's gone and uh, you want me to give you a free kick I went yeah like that he went get in like he sent me in right I'm have i not going in he went get in I went no like that then he poked me in the chest right I'll never forget (laughs) he poked me in the chest I went sucker he poked me in the chest like that now don't get me wrong I wasn't going to do anything but you know all of a sudden it's a little bit of standing you know what I mean I went don't poke me in the chest then he leaned forward and he went go in I went no then he went do you want me to get the manager, Kevin? He called me Kevin. That's where you know what I mean. <laughs> and I went, no, I don't. And I walked and I wouldn't go in, right? I would not go in. And I sat doing sit-ups and press-ups while the session was going on. I'm fuming like yeah. that, right? And I thought I'd upset him. So after training, knocked on his door. and said, Saka, can I come and see you? Yeah, in you come, mate. I went, we all right like that? He'd gone, yeah, why? And he went, no, I had to do it. And went, what do you mean you fucking had to do it? He went, think about it. He went, you're still doing the job. He went and you're at it. He said, he said This is it. fucking brilliant. Fucking brilliant. He's going like that, right? He said, You're still at it. He said, I ain't got to worry about you. He said, But the others I have. He went, So that was my chance to nail that lot. He went, Sorry about that. <laughs> that was it. Like, do you see what I mean? It was like he had to use me to batter them yeah. because to say, Listen, if I can send the captain in, I'm going do it. You lot, so i up your game like yeah. that. And that's what he would do. And, and But I thought I'd upset him. Even that time in Manchester, I had to go and find him. So that's, are we all right? And that's where you start learning little bits, what it takes to be a manager and a coach that is a psychological aspect's massive. But yeah, honestly, he was brilliant. And and all I was really concerned about was making sure we hadn't had a fallout. Me and, yeah. You know, sending me in, poking me in, he says, I don't give a shit about that. It's not really going to hurt me, is it? Um, and he didn't need to worry about me training because I've still trained as hard as I always had done. But he was cute at nine out of deal with people. So I go back to what I've spoke about during this tour. You can be a great coach, but you need to understand people. And that's when managers bring players in Nowadays, it's one of the fundamental things they need to do is get to know their personalities, get to understand how they work a little bit and sort of say, and it might be they get in, go back to Dennis Smith, he'd done his work on me, he knew he thought, right, I've got half a chance for this one. If he thought that half a chance was a little bit the other way, he'd have just probably thanked me and I'd probably never heard of him again. And that's where, I don't know what impact uh, managers have now on signings, whether a lot of it is done for them, they might say, yeah, but, they need to get the feel for him. They need yeah. to understand. They need to just go, can I work with him? I, I worked with a young uh, sports scientist at a club. He's not young now, Scotty, anymore. And Scott Ainsley? No, no well, Scotty I've worked with before. Scott Pierce's name was. And Scotty had been working part-time at the club. And there was a view to bring him in full-time because so he was very, very, very good at what yeah. he'd done. I wanted to know that I could work with him. Right Now, it wasn't necessarily clash of personalities or nothing like that it was more than that if I could work with him so he came in and done a session then I was in the coaches with getting changed in the co- and I timed it to make sure I was in at the same time so I started having the crack with him like that and he was going oh, I think I'm coming in to work with you full time and I just went are oh, you yeah. it's not what I've been told so I threw it back at him a little bit and started sort of being a bit like that at him and just had the crack with him for about 15 minutes while I was having my shower and then I thought yeah I can work with him Yeah. That was it. I knew I could work with him, and that's all I had to do. And I went back up, and then when he finally came in, we sort of spoke about it. I said, he he went, why didn't you come and do anything with me? I said, I did. He went, what do you mean you did? He said, well, I said, you remember that 15 minutes when I was having my shower, and I was caning you a little bit? He went, yeah. I said, that was it then. I said, I need to know I could work with you. But I said, and you need to know you could work with me, because you might have gone away from thinking I didn't like him. Yeah. And another time was we sat upstairs, and we had an argument about training. We, he got to know how football works. He's an outstanding sports scientist. He's exactly this, Scott Ainsley, outstanding. But he got to know me as a coach. He knew when I came in what sort of mood I'd be in, bearing in mind how well the lads had trained, yeah. what was expected of him, da di da da And very rarely did we disagree. But one day we came in and I disagreed with him but I knew he was right so I went no no we're not doing that I need to do this today and I must have kept him going for ages and he's arguing with me about it and he's going no you're wrong I'm going no I'm not I'm right I'm the coach like that right now obviously that's has to come a line where he shuts up because ultimately the league coach technically yeah. gets the input for everybody yeah. else because his head's on the block type thing and right at the very end I went "Now you're right really <laughs> and then obviously he swore at me why did you have to do that I went because I need to know you're prepared to st- have a go back at me yeah now if it's in the confines of in a private room and you want to argue a to toss with me I think you've got to do that when you come out of there we might still disagree but he's got to understand why I'm doing it and then stick with it because if I see a weakness in him to go off and do his own thing I'm in trouble a little bit there I? and I give him credit I said you need to learn going forward if you really really disagree with something be brave enough, but also understand that the coach or manager might still turn around and say to him, yeah, "I get it." But that's when you've got to go. Okay, now to give Scott uh, Pierce credit, you know he's gone and gone to Taiwan, done stuff. You know he's he's, he's working. I think at the foundation now. He worked with um, Sam Allardyce because there was a, a lot of changes around yeah, after Sam left, and that yeah. was a shame. But he was brilliant to work with. And like I look back at uh, the coaching times, so much older, took from Sacco, you, you would do it. You know, like really good. I'm going now here. now. Like, tell All right. Yeah. <laughs> cool
0: fact.